Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to our GSP Ace of the Day segment, a show where I'll offer my picks for each and every day of the 2023 Australian Open. Day five of this event, now officially in the rearview mirror, may have been an all-time day for us on this Ace of the Day segment. Of course, it always helps to go undefeated. We managed to do that yesterday, 3-0 and overall. That result brings us back into the promised land. We are now 11-11-3 up 0.25 units overall through the first five days of this 2023 Australian Open. But it was the fashion in which each of our picks hit yesterday that truly made the day so dramatic. Of course, it started with the Elena Rabakina money line. Rabakina earning a tough three-set victory over defending finalist Danielle Collins yesterday. You also, of course, somehow, some way, in some fashion, had Daniil Medvedev and Sebi Korda managed to cover their over in their game spread, despite the fact that they only played three sets in their match. The over-under, 34 and a half games. They managed to hit over by half a game as quarter earns a 7-6-6-3-7-6 upset victory that again delivered us win number two. And then the truly one that we pulled out of our derriere, dare I say, apologies for the imagery, but the true derriere pull was the Yannick Sinner game spread cover. Sinner goes down two sets to love. And at that point, you're wondering... Can he even beat Fucevic, let alone cover a six and a half game spread? What does Yannick Sinner do from there, though? Goes on a tear I have not seen in quite a bit of time. Sinner, ultimately a five-set come-from-behind win over Marton Fucevic that sees him cover that six-and-a-half game spread. Of course, FAA did his job as well. That delivered us our third winner. Needless to say, we were blessed. We were kissed by the tennis gods yesterday. Maybe that's something to be wary of as we head here into day number six, but certainly it provided an entertaining day. Entertaining is how you say that word in English. It provided an entertaining day for me, and hopefully it provided that to all of you listeners of this show as well. With that in mind, again, 11-11-3, up 0.25 units. That's better. That's not where we plan on ending here on this show. The goal is still up 60%, up more than 10 units by the end of this major. I think we can get there. Of course, it's going to be tricky as day six offers us another strange board of matches, certainly entertaining from the tennis side of the equation. But trying to make predictions is going to be awfully tough here on day number six. This is one of those days when I look at the board and simply put, things just look a little bit too easy. There are a lot of low-hanging fruits, a lot of minus three-and-a-half game spreads on the women's side for seeds playing unseeded or lesser-heralded players. And you just think, yeah, 
that should be an easy straight set victory. On the men's side, not as many, you know, Hatchnov, Tiafo, Hercot, Shapovalov type battles here on day number six. You look at a match, and again, this is just one example I would turn to, but you look like a match, you know, like a Rublev Evans or a, a Runa Umber, maybe even a Demonauer Bonzi, where you think there's maybe a clear cut favorite, at least on paper. But that's when things always get trickiest, right? Because now that we've reached the third round of this major, not only do we have all these stats to turn to in trying to analyze these matches, but as I alluded to on yesterday's show, we now can use the eye test. We've gotten to see everyone in this slam compete now at least twice as such. I think that's a strong enough sample size, certainly as it relates to this Australian Open. Many of these players competed through the first two weeks of January as well. So now we're at that five, six, seven sample size of matches for everyone. I do feel more comfortable trusting my eyes at this point of the event than I did earlier on. That said, again, it's a tricky day. It's third round play. That's always going to be a tricky portion of these slam events. That said, I'm going to try and duplicate yesterday's success. I think we've got another 3-0 board on our hands. Certainly, it feels like if we can begin to separate here, then we really have some momentum going into week number two. And as all of you listeners know, I am quite a superstitious man. So three aces was the magic number yesterday. It's still third round play. Let's go with another magical three aces here on today's show. With that in mind, of course, the recapping content is over on the mini break podcast feed but you came here to hear a preview of day number six at this Australian Open. So let's get to it. Here are my thoughts on day six, my GSP aces of the day. Let's start where we have seemingly started just about every ace of the day segment here this week. Let's talk about the American men. Of course, the big story going into round number three, certainly something we discussed over on that mini break podcast feed, something I've seen discussed at large on tennis Twitter, has been the success of the American men. More American men into the third round of this major since any Australian Open since 1996. You had Americans beating the top two seeds in the men's singles draw for the first time since the 1994 French Open. Of course, eight Americans into the round of 32. That's 25% of the field. 25%, one in four are American men. That is truly spectacular. And as such, we have a handful of American men in competition here on day number six. Let's start with one of the American men not facing his fellow countrymen. Let's start with the hottest thing since sliced bread. You love him. I love him. Everyone who's watched tennis has loved this man of late. Of course, I'm referring to former NCAA singles champion and rising 20-year-old American Ben Shelton. You look for Shelton, who, of course, not only earned one of his first ATP tour-level victories of his career this week in Melbourne, he's into the third round of a slam for the first time in his career. It's the first time Ben Shelton has traveled outside of the United States. Not a bad payday for your first foreign trip, Shelton, into the third round into the ATP top 85 for the first time in his career as well. And look, it's all been gravy for Ben Shelton really for the past 15 months. You go back to him making the finals of Kalamazoo back in the summer of 2021, winning a futures title in Champaign. He then wins the ITA College All-American, one of the biggest events on the college calendar, wins the NCAA Singles Championship, the biggest individual event on the college calendar in May. He then, of course, 
blitzes through the Challenger Tour to kick things off in June, wins three straight Challenger events to end the 2022 season, and now again into the third round of a major for the first time in his career. You look for Sheldon, who needed a tough five-set victory in his first-round match to get through Zhang Jijian. Things got much smoother in round number two. Tough fought, but a straight set, 7-6, 7-6, 7-5 victory over the qualifier, Nicolas Yari. Of course, Yari, massive serve, massive forehand for the Chilean. As such, this was very much grown men tennis. Big first serve, Big first ball, big first strike, executing in the tie break. That's what that match was all about. And again, Shelton managed to execute. Now, he only made 58% of his first serves, but he only faced one break point throughout the course of the match. And again, in a 6-6-5 battle, a match where he served 18 total times, he lost less than 30 points on serve throughout the course of the match. I know Nicolas Yari will never be accused of being a good returner. He's a go-for-broke sort of guy, wants to take a big cut with his first forehand, whether it be on the return or in the rally. But Ben executed better. Ben was better at executing that power tennis game style and had more weapons at his disposal, more other tricks at hand, whether it be you know dipping the first passing shot at the feet and then the two passing shot combination from there. I thought Ben was a little quicker, a little more fluid than Yari. I think Yari made the mistake of trying to serve through the Ben uh, backhand wing when in reality, given it's a slightly bigger backswing, a slightly more extreme grip in my opinion right now, and I think I've watched as much Shelton film as anyone not in the immediate Shelton family, um, you got to play through that forehand with pace. That's the way to attack Ben because he's just too solid on that backhand wing, too condensed of a backswing. The reason I bring all of this up is, again, Ben just faced not elite power tennis from an execution standpoint, but certainly elite power in the hands of Nicolas Yari. That's exactly what he's going to face in round number three as well. And look, Ben's going to be playing a night match as he's going to take on 23-year-old Australian Alexi Popperin. Popperin into the third round of the Australian Open for the third time in his career. That's not too bad for a guy who doesn't turn 24 years old until August here this year. Now, look, Popperin struggled a lot uh, throughout the course of the 2022 season, 29 and 30 overall in his last 52 weeks of play. That said, Popperin's been a lot better here to kick off 2023, and he has always been a guy who succeeded when he's had the opportunity to play in his home country of Australia. But look, credit to Popperin. Quarterfinals, Adelaide won, came through qualifying to get there, got a really good win over Felix Ogier Aliasim at that event. He then, of course, earns a five-set, four-plus-hour victory in round number one here in Australia over Chun Sin Sung. And then the big win, five sets, four-plus hours, 6-2 in the fifth over Taylor Fritz in round number two. Again, you look for Popperin, big serve, big forehand. That's been the name of the game for the 23-year-old Aussie thus far this event. And you look for Popperin, he's been broken twice through 10 sets of tennis. You only get broken twice in 10 sets. Things are typically going pretty well. That's obviously why Popperin now finds himself in the third round and how Popperin finds himself with this result, perhaps more importantly, back inside the ATP Top 100, sitting at number 90, which, again, you feel like a guy with his serve, his forehand, 
with the indoor hardcore events coming up or the Middle East swing, Doha, Dubai. Maybe he goes to play Mexico. This is certainly a big opportunity on the calendar for Alexi Popper, and he has already made the most, much like Ben Shelton has, of this 2023 Australian Open. That said, again, the big numbers I would point out when looking at this matchup. Shelton, so much winning over the course of his last 52 weeks. You look for Shelton overall now. He's 43-13 and 13 in his first 56 matches as a full-time pro. 43-13. and 13. And again, a lot of those are challenger level, you know, or, you know, lower level ATP matches. Exactly the sort of guys like Alexi Popper in the world who may have the big weapons, do things they do very well, but still have some limitations in their game. And I think for Alexi, that would be the backhand, which he's far more comfortable slicing. Certainly, he can get a little trigger happy and inconsistent. And while he played top 20 level tennis against Taylor Fritz, again, how how capable will he be of sustaining that moving forward, I think is certainly the question everyone has uh, in mind. That said, again, you look at Shelton's record of success. There are plenty of guys, big serves, big forehands. I think of the Chris Eubanks of the world, the Alexander Kovaceviches of the world, the Alex Vukiches of the world, who, again, Shelton saw plenty of on the challenger circuit over the course of the past half a year. And so I don't think Shelton will be overwhelmed by it. And he just saw Nicolas Jari, who, again, big serve, big forehand, wants to swing through the backhand whenever possible as such the errors begin to pile up on that wing. I think there's a lot of similarities between Nicolas Yari and Alexi Popperin in terms of how they play the game. I think Popperin's a little faster. I think Popperin will certainly benefit from the fact that he's playing in front of his home country and what the Aussie crowd will do for him. But again, Ben Sheldon's a former NCAA champion, and he played on a Florida team that was top five in the country for each of his two years. This is a guy who has played in hostile environments at night on the road. I actually do think Ben Shelton is particularly well prepared to play against a rowdy Australian environment. I actually think he might be able, dare I say, to have this Australian crowd fall in love with his energy, with how captivating and just, again, exciting it is to watch a Ben Shelton match. Again, all these things said, you look for Ben, 43-13 and 13 over his last 52 weeks compared to the 29-34 and 34 popper, and you look for Ben, the fact that he just played a Nicolas Yari and has seen plenty of serve forehand game styles like popper, and you look at the fact that Ben has spent a grand total of about six hours on court for popper, and he spent eight and a half hours on court. Again, Sheldon's played eight sets, Popperin's played ten Popper also had a lot, you know, has played a lot of tennis here in this first month of the season, coming through qualifying to make that quarterfinal run in Adelaide. And, you know, again, you just wonder how much does he have left in the tank? How will he be able, well, you know, how much will it be adrenaline versus him having fully recovered from that five set Fritz match in round number two? And then the last stat I would throw at you, and you can think, I think you all see where I'm leaning with this pick, but you look for Alexi Popperin in his career, 14 and 25 against lefties, 1 and 4 against them at the challenger level, 5 and 11 against lefties at the ATP level. He's lost his last five consecutive matches against left handed players. He's also lost nine of his last 10 consecutive matches against left handed players, though it should be pointed out that two of those matches were against Rafael Nadal. That said, his one win over a lefty at the ATP level since the 2019 U.S. Open was over Feliciano Lopez in Miami 2021. 
that almost shouldn't count as a tour-level victory, given at what stage Feliciano Lopez was in his career in Miami 2021. It's a bad matchup for Lexi Popperin because, and it, it's it's fascinating to me, and then I promise I've spent too long on this match already, so I'll move on momentarily, but it's fascinating to me to listen to first-time commentators of Ben's game talk about Ben because, and I think I alluded to this anecdote on the mini-break, but in his last match against Nicolas Jari, you know, the commentators were like, man, like Jari really has to find a way to take a, a take away the ad side slice out wide lefty serve from Ben. And you almost want to say like, yeah, no f***. Like, have you watched one second of Ben Shelton tennis in your life? I've shared this anecdote before, but I asked someone who played him in college, what's the most difficult part about playing Ben? And they said, well, it's the slice out wide on the ad side. And the exact wording was, Alex, if he makes that serve, I'm f***ed. And he goes into the reasons why, because, you know, A, it's probably an ace, but B, if it's not, and I managed to get my racket on it, now he's got a first forehand and the entire court to work with. That slice wide serve is already in the conversations for most effective serves. I don't want to say on the ATP tour, but in principle, in theory, how he hits the spot, how he shapes the court, you see why so many see that as an elite pattern for Ben moving forward. And that pattern goes right into Popperin's biggest weakness, which is, of course, that uh, that backhand, which he wants to be slicing or he wants to be turning big into down the line, which he's just not going to have the opportunity to do with the pace that Ben plays through that wing. Similarly, as heavy as Popperin hits the ball, I would say A, Ben's an extraordinary athlete, great mover. He will be very excited to absorb that pace and be able to redirect it. B, Ben's most consistent wing is that backhand side. If I'm popperin in this match, the inside-out forehand and the down-the-line forehand, how well he executes those two shots will dictate the result of this match because Ben's going to do Ben's thing, and I really do think it comes down to do we get the popperin of round number two against Fritz or do we get a more regress towards the mean sort of performance from Alexi Popperin? I happen to think it's the latter. I also think, again, you play two five-set matches in your first two rounds. Those things, especially early in the year, whether it be through blisters, whether it be through calluses, they just start to add up. I think it's a bad matchup. I think all signs point towards Ben. You look at the tennis abstract singles forecast, which is always an essential resource, of course, in trying to make predictions on this show. Ben's a significant favorite, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract. They have Shelton a 72.8% chance of advancing. You look at our friends at DraftKings, they have Popperin as a minus 160 favorite. Ben's plus 130 odds, which, by the way, have actually decreased since my plus 125 pick of him when I made this sheet. Westoff's not going to change the picks. I think they've already been tweeted out. But since he's up to plus 130, I'll take the extra juice on that. Give me Ben Shelton plus 130 to win this match straight up. Now, again, you look at the over-under. I think it's like 40 and a half games. And I do think we're going to see at least one, if not two, tie breaks throughout the course of this match. It will be tightly contested. But I think much much like against Nicolas Jari. I trust the fluidity of Ben a little bit more. I think he's a little bit better passing. I think he's a little bit better as a volleyer. 
you probably think the Popper and serve forehand are a little bit more consistent at this point. And again, if Popperin plays anything like he did against Fritz, it's going to have to be one of the matches of Shelton's career. But I just don't think Popperin's going to sustain that level. Give me Shelton to advance. Plus 130, money line underdog. Let's make the pick. 0.25 units to win 0.32 in return. That is ace of the day, number one. And again, just for the record, Ben Shelton, who... I mentioned the record already, but in his first six months as a pro, he's already up to number 76 in the live rankings. He wins this match. He'll jump all the way up to number 65 in the live rankings. 65 with no points to defend in February, March, April, or May. That's ridiculous. That's, I could be maybe even like seated come the French Open. Levels of ridiculousness open and you know the potential for Ben Shelton should he kick off his 2023 with a second week here in Australia. But again, I'll go Shelton, plus 130. The story has been all about the American men. The story really these last six months have been all about Ben Shelton. Let's see that continue to be the story here moving forward. That said, that's ace number one. Again, ace number two, I'm going to turn to an all-American matchup. I happened to be in Cincinnati last year when Tommy Paul took on Jensen Brooksby and just let the record show Jensen was far from his finest, but God, Tommy gave him the business. Three and two win for Tommy Paul. That took an hour and nine minutes. He didn't face a single break point throughout the course of the match, despite making just 49% of his first serves in the match. Now, it was a completely different Brooksby, but again, it's been a completely different Tommy Paul now for six months consecutively. And I always use this reference point in comparison when talking about Tommy Paul. You look for him since making the quarterfinals of Queens Club back in the center of June. Tommy Paul, 26 and 14 overall over the last six months. He's winning two thirds of his matches during that stretch of time. He's holding serve 82.1% of the time. That would rank 26th overall, but he's breaking 26.1% of the time. That would rank 11th overall. Tommy's been, I think, pretty clearly one of the 15 best players in the world over the course of the past six months. Certainly has the results. Paris quarterfinals, you know, Canada quarterfinals, Wimbledon round of 16, U.S. Open five-set third-round loss to the eventual finalist in Casper Ruud. Tommy's been one of the guys over the last six months. And as amazing as Brooksby was in his four-set victory over Casper Ruud, as solid as Brooksby been just to start this season, semifinals in Auckland, uh, round of 32 now in Australia, I just think this is the sort of match where Tommy Paul thrives because this is a pecking order in American men's tennis sort of match. This is a hey, who sh- who's the guy right now? Who are you know who are the players that should be receiving all of the ten- the attention? Who are the guys who, when we all show up to the USTA national campus, you're the ones who get first choice on what courts we're practicing on and what court times I get to utilize. That's what this match is, and I just think Tommy shows up for those sorts of matches. I also wonder for Jensen who, you know, it was funny because he, at the end of his third set against Kasparud and ultimately Brooksby uh, played that Kasparud match three hours, 55 minutes. At the end of the third set, Brooksby looked gassed. He just looked like there was nothing left in the tank. And then he raced out to a three love lead to kick off double break to kick off set number four. He Brooksbeed it up. And yet, you know, again, you look for Brooksby made just 57% of his first serves. He's actually been under 60% on the first serve for all but one of his matches here in 2023. I don't think that's indicative of him 
hitting the first serve that much bigger. I just think he's been a little bit off thus far with his first serve. And I just don't think he's got a weapon to hurt Tommy with. And I know you could have said the same thing about Kasparun and what did Brooksby's weapon ultimately turn out to be. It's the fact that he does make so many balls, that he does constantly keep you on a string, that he does, you know, consistently attack your weakness, which in the case of Kasparud was just consistently pepper that backhand wing. The difference is I don't think Tommy has a vulnerability like that. For Tommy, typically the issue comes down to discipline. The fact that he will lose, you know, lose the thread and either will say, A, you know, get passive for 20 consecutive minutes or he'll try to get a little bit aggressive but get a little recklessly aggressive and we'll see five to seven minutes of just errors pile up for him and at that point he's already given away a 3-0 deficit you know we haven't seen that Tommy Paul much at all over the course of the last six months and again from a matchup perspective coming off of the big win for Brooksby clearly a very physical match I just think it's not as simple of a game plan going into this matchup against Tommy. I think Tommy was playing better than Casper in this month of January. I don't think that's a hot take. You watched Casper who lost, what, first round in Hobart, right? Like, it's not as though he was playing particularly well or second round, whatever it was. I think Tommy's playing better. I wonder how much energy Jensen has left in the tank. Again, from a matchup perspective, Tommy just had every opportunity to change direction, take the ball early, attack down the line in Cincinnati. And I think he'll have a lot of similar opportunities here in Australia as well. You look, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract, Tommy's actually a pretty comfortable favorite, 61.6% according to the singles forecast. He's also the favorite via our friends at DraftKings. Tommy, a minus 135 money line favorite over Jensen Brooksby. Now, you could play with the game spread if you want better value. You can get Tommy at minus two and a half games at minus 105 odds. You can get Tommy minus one and a half game, minus 120 odds. And typically, when you win a match, you cover by a game or two or three and you know, again, is there a world where Tommy could lose a lopsided set? Absolutely. But as long as he wins the match in four or fewer sets, there, you know, or four or even five sets, typically you cover, again, a game spread a game spread so thin. That said, the difference between 105 and minus 135 is not so great that I think there's better value in taking that over the money line. In this instance, let's not even mess with the games. We see on matchup, Tommy's got the better weapons. Tommy's physically fit. Tommy's playing extraordinarily well. He's probably a little better rested as well going into this match. Although Tommy did just play a five-setter himself, uh, taking on Alejandro Davidovich Fokina. So I suppose that argument goes a little bit to the wayside. (sighs) I'm taking Tommy. I like the weapons just a little bit more. Give me Tommy Paul to advance in this match. And let's just go with the money line. Tommy straight up, minus 135 over Brooksby. Again, this is going to be very, the points are going to be very long. There will certainly be moments where Brooksby begins to frustrate Tommy Paul. There will certainly be moments where Brooksby's defense just asks the exact right question of Tommy at the exact right moment. And yet Tommy's answered all of those questions over the course of the last six months. Give me Tommy to reach another second week at a major, this time in Australia. Tommy Paul, minus 135 money line over Jensen Brooksby. Again, just a quarter of a unit on it to win 0.18 in return. We're playing tentatively across the board today, as, as you knew. Round three, it always scares me. That said, last ace of the day, and then I want to offer my thoughts on the rest of the board, explain why I think things are so weird. 
Belinda Bencic has been very, very good. If Arena Sabalenka and Jessica Pagula have been the two best players to start this 2023 season, and I don't necessarily mean best overall. I'm just saying simply by results. Who have had the most significant results of the 2022 uh, three season? Well, Sabalenka won week one in Adelaide. Bencic won week two in Adelaide. And Pagula won United Cup and has looked excellent through her first three rounds of play in Australia. That's what I mean by that. And again, who did I mention on that list? Sabalenka, Pagula, and Belinda Bencic, who reaches the third round here in Australia and sets up what, in my opinion, is a very favorable matchup for Bencic against Camilla Georgie. Now, again, you look for Belinda Bencic, who in Adelaide gets wins over Muguruza, Garcia, Kudermatova by a withdrawal, and Kasatkina before this week getting straight set wins over Tomova and Claire Liu. The big thing is she's dropped just one set uh, in the matches she's played since the start of last week. It was her three-set win over Caroline Garcia, who of course has looked excellent at this Australian Open thus far and is also still alive in the third round. You know, Bencic did lose a match to Iga at United Cup, but I thought Bencic actually looked pretty good in that 3-6 and six result there, and that's why maybe some of you fans are saying you're not going to include Iga in that top four. Fine. Those are your four best players to start this 2023 season, but Bencic has to be included on that list, and of course, Belinda Bencic finished last season ranked fifth overall in hold percentage, trailing just what, Rabakina, Samsonova, Oh, I think she was fourth, actually, because she trailed just Rabakina, Samsonova, and Caroline Garcia. She held serve 77% of the time. She's at 83.5% through a non-insignificant, what, eight matches that she's played so far, nine matches here in 2023. The progress we've continued to see from her as a server these past two years, not only with the effectiveness of the spots she hits on serve, but her ability to turn into the plus one ball. The backhand has been elite since she was 11 years old. Of course, she is a former top junior in the world, but her ability to turn into the forehand now and because she's improved as a mover, because she's finally healthy, just how much more time she has move, you know, maneuvering that baseline, taking that ball early on the rise, doing all of these things that are so impressive. Benchich is playing the best ball of her career. And I understand she didn't make it a second week at a major last season, but Belinda Bencic, 42 wins last year, second most of her career, trailing only that legendary 2019 season where she made the U.S. Open semifinals, won either Dubai or Doha, I forget which one. Other than that, you know, she didn't have a big result at the slams last year, but she was better week in, week out last season than she had ever been prior in her career. And I think that's going to translate right away here to this first major. And look, it's a pretty ideal draw as she's taken on Camille Georgie. She knows fairly well. They've played five times. Benchich is three and two, including victories in their last two matches, although it's worth noting they haven't played since February 2019 when Benchich earned a two and four win at Fed Cup over Georgie. That said, Georgie has been one of your sneaky, impressive players here through the first week of the Australian Open. Georgie 0-1 over Pavlachenkova, 4-3 over Schmidlova. That said, it feels like Georgie's been playing with fire. Like, again, she's been running up the double fault count. She's been over 10% in each of her first two matches. It feels like she has foregone the second serve and is just saying, screw it, let's play big all the time, which isn't the worst strategy against a Belinda Bencic, who the last thing in the world you want to give Bencic is time to get into her playbook. But if this is a battle that turns into a battle of serve bots, give me Belinda Bencic, who is a better server than Camilla Georgie, who I feel more confident in the consistency of, in the first strike of, and again, who I think can put more returns in play given the quality 
of the opponent serve than the inverse. I think Belinda Bencic wins this match, and I think she wins it pretty comfortably. I think this is the first significant challenge in terms of pace that Georgie has faced in this 2023 season, certainly in this Australian Open, and I don't think she's going to be prepared for it again. I think Belinda Bencic right now is playing Tier 1 caliber tennis. I think she's looked that good from a movement perspective, from a power perspective. All we need is for her to win in straight sets tomorrow. And again, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract, Belinda Bencic, 74.7% favorite. She's also smack dab in the parlay zone, minus 450. And by the way, I have nine players in the money line parlay zone here today. That's what has me so concerned. But you can get Sabalenka minus three and a half games, straight set win, which she's done the last two times she's played Georgie at minus 195. That's the perfect first leg to anchor a parlay. The second leg here for our final ace of the day. Let's take the Demon Hour, minus 380 money line. Demon Hour taking on Benjamin Bonzi. Of course, Bonzi was a finalist. Week one in India has played a very good tournament thus far as Bonzi uh, earned a, a pretty impressive win in round number two. Uh, five sets, seven, six in the fifth, four hours, 11 minutes over Pablo Carreño Busta. Also needed a little over three hours to earn a four set win over the rising Matteo Bellucci of Italy. That's a lot of tennis on court. Seven plus hours, seven and a half hours, and now you face what is actually your toughest test of all, as difficult as that Carreño Busta match was. And by the way, Bonzi wins that match seven, six in the third from two sets to love down. One only can imagine how physically draining that must have been. You go from that to facing Demon Hour. Very similar physical test to Carreño Busta. The difference is Demon Hour also has the added benefit of that Australian Open home crowd. You look for Benjamin Bonzi. In his career at the majors, Bonzi has never made it past the third round. In fact, this is his first third round at a major in his career. I'm not saying he's going to be happy with that and he'll take the participation trophy and happily go home. I just think Demon Hour is looking to make an even different leap. You know, Bonzi is trying to solidify himself as an unequivocal top 50 guy. And by the way, you make a third round at a slam, you make a final the first week of a major, that's how you go about doing that. Demon Hour is playing this 2023 season to remind everyone that he can still be a tier one contender on the ATP tour moving forward. And I just think there's going to be a little gusto on the edge of Demon Hour's racket as well. He's minus 380 for a reason, significant favorite according to Tennis Abstract. He's also an 80.5% favorite in this matchup. You look in the career head-to-head for Benjamin Bonzi, Alex Demon Hour. They've played three times Demon Hour, two-to-one advantage, although uh, including wins in their past two matches. Bonzi's only victory over Demon Hour came back in 2016 when what Demon Hour was 16 or 17 years old. Look, again, these are two guys who are really good at everything, maybe don't have a definitive weapon that helps make life easiest for themselves. And in that case, I just think Demon Hour is the better version of Bonzi. A little bit faster, a little bit quick twitchier, plus he's got the home crowd, plus he's not coming off of a 7-6 in the fifth matchup against Pablo Carreño Busta two days ago. So give me Demon Hour. Again, not on a game spread. Only on the money line. All Demon has to do is win his match against Bonzi. Let's take that. Let's parlay him with the Benchich minus three and a half games. You throw those two together. Minus 110 parlay. I like it. Quarter of a unit to win .22 overall. That is your third and final ace of the day. Now, to wrap today's show, some final thoughts on the rest of this second half of the third round. The women's matches terrify me. 
because I think Arena Sabalenka has played better tennis than anyone else on the women's side here in 2023. She's historically had a ton of success against her opponent today, her former doubles partner, former doubles slam champion winning partner in Elisa Mertens. You look Sabalenka, a 75.1% favorite, according to our friends at Tennis Abstract. Heading into this matchup, you look uh, for uh, Sabalenka in her career head-to-head against Elisa Mertens. Again, she has had a significant level of success. Sabalenka, 6-2 and two overall, including wins in their last five matches. This is the vomit zone. Like you just feel like this is maybe where Sabalenka blinks for a moment or she takes a foot off the gas because it is someone she knows so well in Mertens. It terrifies me. Sabalenka's minus 450. Smack dab in the parlay zone. Minus four and a half games, minus 150. A bolder man than me would throw that in a parlay as well. It's a stay away. No thank you. I want no part of that match. Just again, Sabalenka's power tennis. She's got the weapons. It should be on her terms. Mertens just sticks around. That one scares me. Uh, certainly, Pliskova versus Gracheva. You know, Pliskova has looked great in 0-5 win over Putinseva in round number two. How fast of a start she got off to, how well she's serving, how well she's moving. The fact that Gracheva is not someone we've seen a lot of in second weeks of slams. And yet, Gracheva's lost like eight total games through two rounds of play. Moves the ball well. Pretty good athlete. I'm scared. I'm scared. Like Pliskova minus 360, that's guaranteed vomit zone. Von Drusova minus 300. She's played three set matches twice so far. Wins over Ali Risk. Own Jabur. On paper, you could argue 17-year-old Linda Fruvertova is her easiest matchup to date, and yet something just feels unkosher about betting against Linda Fruvertova, whether it be you know the minus three and a half game spread at minus 135, which was just calling to me. Alex, throw me in the aces. You love Marketa Vondrusova. The numbers love Marketa Vondrusova. Won't her variety and ability to absorb Fruvertova's first strike redirected in an uncomfortable angle? Isn't that exactly what you need to do to make the 17-year-old uncomfortable? I agree with you, hypothetical Alex. I just, I don't know. I don't, it's something feels unkosher about picking against the 17-year-old Fruvertova, who, as I like to joke around, has yet to be eliminated from the greatest of all time conversation. So, no thanks. That's a stay away from me. Vekic should beat Parizes Diaz minus 250. She crushed Samsonova, who has far more threatening weapons than Parizes Diaz, who's had, obviously, a spectacular tournament thus far. But again, something just seems fishy about that one. Why is Vekic minus 250 and not minus 400 given her form of late, given how good she looked in Samsonova, the fact that she is back inside the WTA top 50? Why is she only minus three and a half games, minus 130? What are they trying to lull me into? Again, you look according to Tennis Abstract, down to Vekic, a 71.8% favorite. Something's up there. Something's fishy. I want no part of it. Of course, you look at some of the other women's matches. I think Lynette Alexandrova, two players who love to hit that line drive, baseline tennis. I think over two and a half sets plus 115. I think that match either goes three or Alexandrova wins two and two. Fruvertova Vondrusova plus 110 to go three. I don't hate that. Sabalenka Mertens plus 190 to go three. Fine. Jung Shui, who again, 32-year-old, playing the best tennis of her career, plus 160 over two and a half sets against Katie Valinets. That Valinets is just a grinder. And again, if you don't have an, a weapon to overwhelm her with, I do think Jung Shui is just better, more physically fit, a little more firepower, more comfortable moving forward. She's a little better than everything that Katie Valinets right now. And one could argue Katie Valinets 
maybe her highest aspiration is to turn into this version of what Zheng Shui is right now, just maybe try to sustain it a little bit longer than Shui, uh, Shui did throughout her career. But again, all these women's matches, Sigamund Garcia even, like when Garcia beats someone, she usually crushes them. And I do think she's going to win this match in straight sets, but she's minus 900. And like, you got to take minus five and a half games or something crazy like that. I don't, it's just too many games. I don't want to mess with it. The odds aren't even good enough to try. So those are my thoughts on the women's side. Again, if you were asking me to make straight picks, I'd go with all the favorites, which is what has me so intimidated. And maybe Volleynets or maybe Fruvertova. I don't know. It's a scary day on the women's side. I do feel like it, it, it just like all the favorites look so good on paper. And those are usually the days I get most incorrect. Now, on the men's side... I love a lot of overs. Popper and Shelton, there's going to be big serves. If it goes four sets, they're going over 40 and a half games at minus 130. Paul Brooksby, it's going to be physical. If they go four sets, they're probably hitting the over 38 and a half, which is minus 135. Evans and his slicing has historically given Rublev trouble, but Rublev, I think, has played pretty solid here in 2022. Uh, three, excuse me. Minus 120 over 37 and a half games. That match does feel like a four set mess. Bonzi Demon Hour over maybe just because it's so physical. Umber Runa. I just don't know if Runa's really ready to close out someone and, you know, to reach the second week of a slam in straight sets. I'm not touching Murray RBA out of respect. I'm just going to watch that one because it's been such a pleasure to watch Andy Murray compete. Wolf Mo, Michael, uh, JJ Wolf. 2-0 in his career against Michael Moe. Two straight set victories, both of them coming indoor Arto or hardcourt North American challenger matches. Again, Moe has the athleticism and the speed and the skill set to absorb, redirect Wolf's first strike, the serve, the forehand, and you know the inside-out forehand. Moe will love hitting a backhand off that ball, but you give Wolf too many chances. He just puts you away after time because that serve-forehand combination is so effective. He is so comfortable moving forward as well. I would lean Michael Moe in the match. Uh, excuse me, I would lean J.J. Wolf. His minus 295 money line smack dab in the parlay zone along with Runa at Rublev and Demon Hour on the men's side. That's a stay away for me. It just feels unkosher, but maybe you like the over there. And again, Runa minus 5.5, Demon minus 4.5, Wolf minus 4.5, Paul minus 1.5. If you do want to get in on the Murray action, take him plus 6.5 because it just feels like it's been that sort of event. But again, on the men's side right now, it's always worth remembering one of uh, Popperin, Shelton, Wolf, and Moe is going to make the quarterfinals. One of Popperin, Shelton, Wolf, Moe, Murray, RBA, Paul Brooksby is going to reach the semifinals of this event. And I honestly think the easiest narrative to grasp my head around is that Ben Shelton just is that good. The rise is real and he's just that next-gen ATP superstar that we've all been looking for as well. I think I could see it for Tommy. Right place, right time. Everything bakes perfectly for him. Obviously a late career semifinal for RBA here in Australia. That doesn't seem totally unlikely as well. Those are the three, I mean, a Murray semifinal, but he's played 10 sets of such physical tennis. Like, God, if Murray makes the semifinals, it becomes a global phenomenon. I think we're going to get really good tennis on day number uh, six. Now, probably not quite as good as day number five, but again, I think I'm, uh, we're either going to have all the favorites cruise 
or there are going to be a lot of upsets that I'm not prepared for. And if that's the case, who doesn't like a funky day of play at the year's first major? With that said, those are your picks for day six of this 2023 Australian Open. To quickly recap, to end the show, give me Shelton, plus 130 over Popper and quarter of a unit to win point three two. Paul, minus 135 money line over Brooksby, quarter of a unit to win point one eight, And then a Benchich, Demon Hour parlay, Benchich minus three and a half games, Demon minus 380 money line, minus 110, quarter of a unit to win point two two. Those are your picks for day number six. A shout out as always to our super producer Daniel Westoff for the of an ending job he does day in, day out, making all of this content possible. Again, recap content available over on the Mini Break podcast feed. With all of that said, for our fantastic super producer Daniel Westoff and all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say may the odds be ever in your favor. Good luck, everyone. 